From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. On today's show, we have some great discussions for you called from our Bloomberg Tax Forum that took place earlier today. The forum covered a number of topics, all under the theme of inspirational leadership and coming up with creative solutions to what will likely be a very challenging time ahead. Today, we're just going to talk about the issue of business taxes, and we're going to start off with the incoming chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden. Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon and a 25-year veteran of the Senate, spoke with Bloomberg tax editor Sony Cossum about what he wants to do with his new chairmanship. The Senate Finance Committee will be the starting point for any tax changes that President Biden wants to make. And his campaign has talked extensively about rolling back provisions of the 2017 tax law. So now that you're chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, um, in your view, what are some of the major weak points or areas of the law that need fixing? Well, probably right up at the top of the list are the tax breaks for doing business overseas. There's an offshoring uh, incentive. The whole guilty regime, when you add it all up, leaves us with an approach that Donald Trump said he wasn't for, and then he came out for it in his bill. It still makes it more attractive to do business overseas than in the United States. So those those international provisions um, really need to be overhauled and particularly the new focus on my watch will be to make it more attractive to do business in the United States than to do business overseas. That was not what happened in the Trump uh, tax bill of 2017, even though Donald Trump um, proposed it. We are going to uh, roll back the uh, 2017 bill in a number of of particulars. I just mentioned one as it relates to international coverage. Um, The top rate, A number of my colleagues are going to focus on bumping uh, that up because that's a question of basic fairness, and I support that. And to me, what tax policy comes down to right now is we currently have, with respect to taxes, a tale of two systems. If you have a nurse treating COVID patients in Oregon, that nurse will pay uh, taxes with every single paycheck. Taxes are mandatory. That's the way it works for that person. If you're somebody who makes most of their money in the capital um, markets, that's not the way it works. And to a great extent, you can pay what you want when you want to. And uh, President Biden has a plan for overhauling uh, capital gains. I have um, a number of thoughts on, on that, but I start with the proposition that everybody in America ought to have to pay their fair share. And we shouldn't have a system a tax system that is optional for people at the top. So you've talked a little bit about a couple of things that I'd like to touch upon. First, um, the the potential to raise the corporate tax rate. There's some criticism about balancing doing that with concerns about U.S. tax competitiveness. How do you address those criticisms? Well, I, I think that President Biden took a approach in the course of the campaign. He's not going to raise uh, the rate under his proposal back to 35%. Um, percent. I think that Joe Biden understands that you grow the economy from the middle out. That's what uh, the new head of the Treasury Department has always stood for, is that when you have middle class people in a position to buy the kinds of goods and services that they'll buy when there's confidence and predictability, you generate demand and you help 
to produce more goods and services that move the economy in, in the right direction. That's the big difference between President Biden and President Trump. Donald Trump basically you know, thought that giving these breaks to people at the top was the way to uh, strengthen the economy. I was just stunned in the December negotiations, what they came in at the last minute with is they wanted to give tax breaks to the wealthiest CEOs for their steaks and, and martinis when we were talking about how you've got to grow the economy from the middle out and you get more bang uh, for the buck by uh, innovative approaches on trying to help people laid off through no fault of their own. And one other question on um, the corporate tax rate. I know that Biden has said that he wants to uh, increase it to 28%, but can you give us a range for what is a realistic uh, and appropriate increase in the corporate tax rate? I, I, I'm not gonna front run my, my, my colleague. I think the most noteworthy thing if people ask me constantly is the rate going up to 35%. I think that our new, new president has uh, framed this as uh, something uh, in the 20s, and let's let's see uh, what my colleagues on the finance committee uh, are going to uh, to think of that. I'd also like to kind of circle back to uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. In her Senate Finance Committee hearing, she said that tax cuts were sort of low on the list of things to tackle. Do you agree with that? And at what point this year will we see any movement on tax policy legislation? Well, my 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 sense is that the first package, the first thing out of the shooter, the thing we're talking about, the $2,000 uh, checks and unemployment and, uh, and COVID uh, relief, those are the kind of three areas with state and local that really make up the focus of the first package. There'll be other kinds of areas. Then you get into this whole question of taxes later on, I hope sooner rather than um, later. And I think there are a whole host of areas we ought, to, we ought to focus on. For example, energy policy is really tax policy. So one proposal that I will have early on, we've got more than 40 separate tax breaks for energy on the federal books, and a number of them are just monuments to yesteryear. Powerful senators added things that they just thought would help local constituents. I basically want to set aside those more than 40 separate breaks and have one for clean energy, one for clean transportation fuel, and one for energy efficiency. And I've been talking to my Republican colleagues and, say, and I've said, we can have a greener country, you know, a more uh, sensible from an environmental standpoint and from a clean energy uh, standpoint, and we can do it for less green from our wallets. And so uh, I'll be uh, very focused on, uh, on climate as part of this early debate as well. And since we're talking about wealthy Americans, I'd like to shift gears a bit and talk about some of your other policy proposals. First, your mark-to-market plan. You've been working on a version of this for, for quite a while now. Um, and since you are now the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, what is the likelihood of your mark-to-market proposal becoming reality? We have been spending our time kind of vetting this and walking it through. Uh, with uh, our colleagues, but you know, with respect to capital gains and what we're looking at, if you just, for example, say that the top 0.3% of taxpayers should in effect have tax rates um, that are similar for wage and capital and then minimize um, the ability to defer and defer and defer, you are going to raise billions of dollars in order to meet uh, the needs that uh, the country has and 
we continue to share the proposal. We've got a fair amount of information about it on, online, and we're going to not um, front run uh, our Senate uh, colleagues at, at this point, but I think everybody is increasingly aware of the proposition that you've got to make the tax code something that isn't optional for people at the top. That's not the way it works for uh, nurses who are taking care of COVID patients. It's not the way it ought to be for billionaires. And uh, last question about uh, plans for tax and capital gains. Treasury Secretary Yellen had said that the Treasury would narrow down options that Biden administration was looking at for, for tax and capital gains. How important is the market uh, mark to market concept to you versus um, the overall goal of achieving parity uh, with capital gains and taxes? Well, remember what um, now the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said in response to questions, pretty detailed questions with respect to capital gains. She was asked about some of my ideas and others and said, look, there are a variety of technical questions that go into making those judgments, which is one of the reasons why we have uh, taken the time to really think this through you know, carefully. But um, if you start with the proposition that there are two tax codes in America, one for nurses where they pay out of every paycheck and a second for people who make most of their money on capital gains and they can be billionaires making um, enormous sums during a, a pandemic, they should have to pay their fair share too. That was Senator Ron Wyden speaking with Bloomberg Taxes' Sony Kasim. Next, we have an excerpt from a roundtable discussion featuring an all-star panel of tax professionals. In this clip, Kumar Nadan, VP of Global Tax at PPG Industries, and Linda Evans, head of tax at IBM, talk about exactly how last year's turmoil affected their work and their businesses. I think from our perspective, the, the, the freeze itself was not such a disruptive thing. I, th I think the, the, the things that the, the President Biden ran on were, were more of a concern for us, specifically the increase in the rate and, and the doubling of the guilty tax. Um, you know, we just about finished assimilating all the changes that took place in 2017. One of the things is, is now really the time to make more wholesale changes? I, and I'm fully understanding there's a you know, $2 trillion stimulus package to, to, to pay for. Uh, you know, and, and from the guilty perspective, you know, one of our things is we ought not to be penalized for making money offshore. It, we, so, for example, in our business, we sell most of the products that we produce offshore in foreign countries. Very, very little of it comes back to the U.S., so, you know, we're in markets around the world, we're a global company, and, and so then I have to, in addition to foreign tax, pay in a, in guilty on top of that. Um, puts us in a, in a very competitively disadvantaged position in, in relation to our foreign competitors. So I think, I think those are, are the, the, the main things that we're looking for. Well, I will just uh, uh, speak up. This is Linda. Uh, I would echo what Kumar said, concern about the doubling of the guilty, penalizing companies that have been operating overseas for years. We've been uh, overseas 100 plus years in 170 plus countries and our earnings are 22 thirds of our earnings come from overseas. So the other thing is the penalty on uh, offshore work uh, is concerning to us as well. And mm -hmm. I guess the, the issue is it's difficult to 
contemplate raising taxes in these areas when we're still recovering from the pandemic. So we would look forward to working with the Biden administration to find alternative revenue sources for the programs they want to do, but don't think it's a good thing to uh, raise taxes on companies as we continue to uh, struggle through the economic downturn from the pandemic. That was Linda Evans, head of tax at IBM, and Kumar Nadan, VP of Global Tax at PPG Industries. Finally, we have Sunita Lowe. She's the Deputy Commissioner for Services and Enforcement at the IRS. Lowe spoke earlier this week to Bloomberg Tax's Ali Versprill. Now that the IRS has essentially wrapped up a lot of the main guidance on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, can you give us some insight into where the agency might focus uh, in terms of regulatory priorities uh, and enforcement priorities as well? Okay, yeah, I'll start with the guidance. So as you know, you know you're right. We issued a large part of the TCJ, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act guidance has been issued. Uh, and that was a lot of work for the last two years. Kudos to our council folks, our, our IRS, um, you know, business folks and, and Office of Tax Policy Treasury. They did a lot of work on that. Uh, but you know, you never say all the guidance is done because new issues come up. But now we focus on non-TCGA guidance. And for that, I, I think I would suggest that uh, people look at the priority guidance plan that is out there. Uh, we have a lot of work to do with regard to the COVID relief bills that were passed. And we have a lot of guidance that we're working on with regard to that. Uh, there were two rounds of EIP, a number of provisions affecting sick leave, family leave, employment tax credits, the PPP loans. So as you can see, every day we are issuing guidance with regard to that to make sure, you know, people understand, especially that part before they start filing their business returns or their individual returns, the guidance with how it affects them with, with the relief, relief provisions that came out. So we issued a number of FAQs uh, with, with regard to the COVID relief bills that were passed. And the reason for issuing the FAQs uh, was to get, get the guidance or to get uh, some kind of information to taxpayers so they could start availing themselves of this relief that Congress had provided. So now we are working to figure out how we can wrap these FAQs so they can be, you know, in a, in a, in a document that is transparent and people can rely on and it's on the website. So that's a large part. And we are also working on, on guidance that was issued pursuant to tax, uh, uh, TFA, which was, uh, in, uh, 29, 2019. So there are a number of provisions we are working on that. For example, you know, there was, uh, there's guidance on the appeals issues, the summons issues. Uh, so that's what's going on with the guidance front. But I really suggest people look at the priority guidance plan. As to enforcement, um, so we, uh, as you know, we we and the taxpayer faced a lot of challenges due to the pandemic. Uh, so with uh, we had a lot of, um, you know, uh, exchange of information issues with taxpayers because you know, because people were not in the offices and neither were our folks. And because we have concerns with privacy in 6103, uh, we normally don't use email to communicate with taxpayers. But in the middle of the summer, we started working on that. And as you know, we, we started sending and responding and tax, allow taxpayers to respond to our information document requests. And while meetings on face-to-face -face were not possible, 
We have been using things like Zoom and all for people to communicate and collectively, and I use the word collectively, That by that I mean the taxpayers as well as the IRS have gotten through and overcome a lot of issues permitting taxpayers to, to be able to exchange information with us and sign, for example, uh, the statute of limitation form 8872 and sign it electronically and send it, send it to us electronically. And so we, we overcame collectively again a lot of challenges. So what are the areas of focus? I do want to I do want to spend some time on that. Uh, the first one, as people have been hearing, we are really focused right now on few areas like syndicated conservation easements, microcaptives, high income taxpayer, global high wealth, and non-filers from our collection folks. So what about the syndicated conservation easements? We have investor exams open and promoter investigations. We are looking at appraisers, preparers. So right now we plan to and open 100% of investor cases. And we are referring a large number of them to civil for civil fraud penalties and working with our fraud civil fraud office as well as to criminal fraud. Our office of fraud coordinator and the National Fraud Council are very engaged with us. Uh, large business and small business uh, are working together uh, to, to divvy up the work and how it's going to be done. Uh, so remember, in the case of civil fraud, you know, 75% of uh, penalty, the penalty is 75%. That's what it applies. So the agents are doing a good job developing the facts. In the, we are in the fact gathering area. I do want to point out to the practitioners who are listening that we've had, we've noticed and we've been told by our agents that practitioners are dragging their feet and not providing the information. So as you have seen recently, we've, we have directed our agents that if you do not get a response to the information document request, they need to start the summons procedure sooner rather than later. So we ask for the information. If we don't get it, we start pre-summons letter and then we start issuing summons and we will enforce those summons. We are working with council, we're working with DOJ to enforce those summons sooner rather than later. And you have seen, you know, we, ex we have had two guilty pleas recently and we expect to have a, a few more in the syndicated conservation easements area. And that's it for today's episode of Talking Tax. To find out more about this week's Bloomberg Tax Forum, visit our website at news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard or anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Special help today came from Sony Kasim, Ali Versprill, David Hood, and Gerland Gerber. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The killers of Berta Caceres had every reason to believe they'd get away with murder. Her work as an environmental activist won her the admiration of celebrities in California, politicians in Washington, and the indigenous communities she worked alongside in Honduras. It also earned her powerful enemies. On a new podcast from Bloomberg Green, Blood River follows a four-year quest to find Berta Caceres' killers. Join journalist Monty Real and the team from Bloomberg Green 
as they untangle false leads and mishandled evidence, taking listeners deep into a sector of international development that's marked by high-level corruption and rampant violence. Blood River debuts Monday, July 27th on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen.